we're in a section now where the Gospel of Mark is transitioning a little bit. We, we've spent our time over the past few chapters <laughs> seeing that this has been about the glory of Jesus. And, and Mark is not going to lose attention on that. We are going to continue to see magnificent things about Jesus as Jesus is picturing who he is and the people then who would listen to his teachings and see his miracles would have that idea and that understanding of who Jesus is and behold that glory. But in these next uh, three or four chapters, Mark wants to add another layer with that. While you are seeing the glory of Jesus, God wants us to now grasp, here's what it takes to follow him. Here's what it means to be a disciple. Since you see who he is, here's what's required now to follow after him. And so really then all the way into chapter 13 of Mark, we're going to see that, which brings us when you get to 13 into the finale of the final week of Jesus' life. So Mark devotes quite a big uh, attention time to discipleship and what it means to truly follow him. I think it is interesting as, as we begin this new section, chapter 9 and verse 30 of the Gospel of Mark, you will notice that Jesus returns to the very teaching that has already been causing problems lately. Immediately Jesus turns and continues in, in verse 31 and tells them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Remember in chapter 8, that caused all kinds of problems. Everybody's arguing about that. Jesus, uh, Peter pulls Jesus aside, begins to rebuke him, tell him that can't be. And after going through all of that, and then after the whole transfiguration scene and beholding the glory of God, and now they've come down on the mount, off the mountain, there was this whole problem about not being able to cast out these strong demons that were there and, and what they needed to do and why the disciples failed. Jesus turns right back around and says, now let me tell that to you again. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be delivered into these hands uh, of people who are going to kill me. And then after being killed, I'm going to be raised three, three days later. Jesus does not move off the message. But what is fascinating that Mark records for us, now that we are well over halfway through the book, Jesus is about to make his way to Jerusalem. We're we're not far away from, from his arrest and death, which is why Jesus is saying this again and again. You'll notice in verse 32, the disciples did not understand the saying and they were afraid to ask. Still no comprehension. Still a lack of understanding. But perhaps what is worse than that is not so simply that they don't understand. I think we we grasp that and understand that this is a challenge for them and their expectation of what the King and Savior of the world ought to do. The bigger problem is that they are afraid to ask. The reason why I want to put my finger on that is because Mark spends a lot of time Noting fear. Fear is a big deal in this gospel. In fact, you might recall one of these days when we get there, which I'm projecting to be around April, not too far. When we get to the end of the book, the book ends with the fear of the disciples. Fear is a constant marker in this gospel. 
And we've seen with fear that that causes some people to not have faith. They are afraid, so they will not ask. They are afraid, so they will not follow. But over and over again, Mark is showing us that fear is supposed to lead to faith. We had some notable people who exemplified that. Remember the woman with the flow of blood and she was just going to timidly kind of go in there, touch the garment, run away. And Jesus stops all that. That fear led to her faith. Same with, the, the, with Jairus and his daughter. Are you going to believe? Are you going to be too afraid? Remember, Jesus says, do not fear Believe That has been a big message for Mark is the need for faith in the face of fear. And it's interesting that as this teaching is unfolding by Jesus and he continues to tell his disciples, I'm going to be handed over to these people who are going to kill me. And then after I am killed, I'm going to raise from the dead. There is fear from the disciples, but they're not asking It's not pushing to faith yet. It's a problem. And that problem is going to start unfolding here in this moment. Because notice after Jesus says that, and the disciples don't understand it, what's happening? Verse 33. They're on their way to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? As if he doesn't know. (laughs) You know, it's like parents in the front seat of the car. Hey, what are you guys talking about back there? Like, we don't know. Uh, and you'll notice the response of the disciples in, in, in verse 34. They keep silent. But kids are great about that. Hey, what are you guys talking about? I'm not going to say a word. Because verse 34 says, look at what they were arguing about. Jesus has said, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be raised three days later. And all along the way, here is this argument that the disciples are having in verse 34 about who is the greatest. (laughs) I expected that argument to be much more about, okay, now what does he mean by that? No, I think he means this. No, he can't mean that. He must mean this. Big statement about the role and the work of Jesus in saving the world through his death and resurrection. And on the way to Capernaum, as Jesus is leading the way and all the disciples are going along the way, here's the argument. You know, I'm better than you guys. I'm greater, more valuable, more useful. You know all the stuff that I do for Jesus. You guys... You guys hardly even appear in the Bible. I mean, I'm way more important than you. Things like that are going on. To argue over greatness, to argue over their value, to argue over their ability, to argue over their role. Here is is again and again and again this, this picture of the disciples arguing. And we would read that about them arguing over greatness. And we're stunned by that, right? I mean, we would just read that and go, you've got to be kidding me that that is your argument. I mean, we would never in the church ever argue about who is more important, you know, or who is greater or who is more value or has better abilities or who's the bigger contributor, or who has a greater impact. We would never do something like that as foolish and selfish like that. Uh, it's the human condition in some ways. Here's something really important. Big teaching about Jesus. 
Something the disciples don't even understand fully. And they're arguing over who's more important. Who's greater? Who has more value? And as easy it is for us to disdain these disciples that would argue over such selfish things while they're following after Jesus, I think it is important for us to recognize that we so easily can do the exact same thing. That we are the ones who need to have a say. People need to pay attention to us. That people should check on us and, 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 and value our opinion. And, and we should be of prominence and notability and have recognition. And don't you know who we are? Don't you know what I do? Or don't you know what I contribute? Or don't you know that you guys wouldn't make it if I didn't do? That's this, this temptation to selfishness. This temptation to pride. And perhaps ultimately what we're going to see in this section, it is a temptation of self-promotion. I'm important. I'm somebody. You should recognize how important I am. Don't you know who I am? That's my favorite of celebrity arrests when that ever happens on television. You know, and the, the first line to the cop is, well, don't you know who I am? Don't care. It <laughs> doesn't matter. Same idea here. Here you're following Jesus and the whole argument is over. Well, I'm more valuable than you. I'm more important. I have greater value. I have greater worth. That's what's happening here in this moment. And I want you to notice what Jesus does with this. This is why Jesus asked the question, Oh, what were you guys discussing back there? And you can just hear the hush of 12 disciples <laughs> as they sit in the house going, We're not going to tell him. Well, Jesus knows. And so verse 35, Jesus sits down and he calls the 12 and he says to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. An amazing teaching right here. Here is the big message and he uses a message and then he's going to illustrate it with this child. But first, the critical message. To be with Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, to follow Him, to belong to His kingdom. I want you just to let these words really hit you as strongly as Jesus says them. You must be last of all people and servant of all people. That's not how we operate. That's not how our world works. But Jesus says, you want to be great. You guys are arguing over number one, right? You want importance. You want recognition. Here's what I want you to do. You want to be great. I want you to be last of anybody. I want you to be dead last every time. And not only do I want you to be last, I want you to serve everybody. Not just some people. Not just the people you like. Not the people that you think are worthy of your service. I want you to be servant of all. And he uses the child as an illustration. I want you to see the beauty of the scene that's given there. In verse 36, he takes a child and puts him in the midst of them. I just want you to see Jesus and this child in the midst of the circle of the twelve disciples. And it says he just takes the child into his arms. And says to the twelve, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. 
Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. There is this picture that he gives. I want you to receive a child in my name. Now, what exactly does that mean? Unfortunately, what we have the tendency to do is we often take Western culture and import that into this and we'll come up with all kinds of ideas about children. And so I'm still trying to figure out where the the Western culture came up with children are innocent, gentle and pure. I have not experienced that in my life yet with kids, but uh, that's the usual picture that's given of children. Oh, well, that just means that they're innocent and pure and all that. Okay. Uh, they're they're a mess. Uh, that's what they are in Western culture. But that's not the idea of what ancient Near Eastern culture looked like. When you spoke of a child, the idea of a child in that culture was absolute insignificance. They bore no social status. They couldn't do anything for you. There is no payback in doing something for a child. What are they going to offer you? You did something for a child. What, what's, what's the benefit? What's the return? What are you going to get from doing those kinds of things? Children were considered at the bottom. They were without social status. They were without significance in any way whatsoever. That's the picture that's being given here. It's like, wants you to receive other people like that. Because receiving a child in that day was about lowering yourself. They were not on your social status. They were not where you were on your position of power and might. The kids are down there. And what he's saying is, I want you to go down and receive them. The picture is of lowering ourselves to accept others. We don't have as much of that societal concept as much, but... Much more of the Eastern cultures have these ideas of status. You know, you belong to this particular group. And don't associate with those lower than you. I am up here. We kind of have it a little bit, but not too much. That was a very big deal, though. It's that you belong here. You don't need to mess with the people below you. They're less than you. They don't deserve your time or your attention. And what Jesus then is doing is is really blowing up that idea and really trying to give us the picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus when he says, I want you to be last of all and I want you to be servant of all. He then grabs his child and tries to give them this illustration to see what he really means by that. This is the absolute lowering of yourself, serving what you would perceive to be the weakest and least significant people you could think of. That's the idea. Is that we would not have in our minds, well, don't you know who I am? Don't you know how important I am? Don't you know how valuable I am? Don't you know who I am and what I do and and the status that I possess? He says you would erase all of that. You would lower yourself and to become a servant of all. The idea is that we would not serve self or even serve some. And what I hope you would see is fascinating by this imagery is that, is that not exactly what Jesus has done for all of us? Think about his status, his place, his right, 
And all of that he forfeits and comes down. That's the whole idea. It doesn't matter who you are or how great you perceive yourself to be. You come down and wash disciples' feet. You wash the feet of the betrayer is what Jesus will do. And so often we have a mentality of, well, there are things that are beneath me in the kingdom of God. You know, there are certain things I will do, certain things I will not do. Those are lesser things. I am up here. The peons can do these things in the kingdom of God. I'm valuable. I'm special. I'm useful. Don't you know who I am? And it was such a powerful picture because notice in verse 37 what he says is that if we will lower ourselves, what you are doing is you are receiving Jesus. In receiving those who we in our minds would say of our lesser status, of lesser importance by this human evaluation that we often make of people. You lower yourself, you go down to them, you serve them. And you know what's happening when you welcome and receive and serve them? You're welcoming and receiving and serving Jesus. Which then he turns around and says, and when you're welcoming and receiving and serving Jesus, guess who you're welcoming and receiving? The one who sent him, God the Father. This is the whole of life. This is ultimately what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I read passages like this. And I know you have probably seen it. I know I have seen it. And I think how often we can see the failure, the the massive spiritual failure of those who are given spiritual authority over a flock. And they become the, well, don't you know who I am? (laughs) Don't you know I'm the preacher? You all need to, you know, cast your robes and get your palm fronds out. (laughs) Don't you know that we are the elders? We are to be unquestioned and we are supposed to receive all your high honors and be elevated in all things, you know. It is shocking how often those who are given spiritual authority, given, given by the flock, then take that and turn it around and go, well, don't you know who I am? (laughs) Don't you know how important I am? Don't you know that I I am a higher level than you? Don't you know what the hierarchy is? You know, that that, that exists so terribly in the religious world. You know, the the laity. (laughs) You know, here's here's the people up here. Here's all the the important uh, officials and officers in the kingdom of God. And then there's those down here. Here's Jesus going, that can't be. It just simply can't be. We are all equal together and on the same plane. And I wonder in my mind as I read this, how many of God's people, how many of God's children have been hurt by people who claim status and power and rule and posture? May churches are damaged because of elders or preachers or people who think they are of importance because of the money they have and the contribution they give or the things that they do or the works that they accomplish, that they will move the church a particular way because don't you know who I am? 
Now I want you to see Jesus says you're not a follower if that's what you do. That's not a follower of Jesus. Absolutely, positively not. He says, you lower yourself. It's like welcoming a child. You lower yourself. It's not about our status. It's not about who we are or anything like that. I want you to notice, he uses now an illustration here. Mark combines something in verses 38 to 41 that you might read that. And you might think, now that seems completely out of place. Yet it is exactly the problem on display. Watch what happens. Verse 38. So here's this great teaching. John says to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. (laughs) I love that. I have to love how often, you know, these disciples are like me. You say something with such great confidence and you're so dead wrong. It's just great. That's what happens right here with John. We did something really important. We saw this person casting out demons and we tried to stop him because he wasn't a part of our group. He didn't belong to us. He wasn't in our circle. He's not one of the twelve. And so we were trying to get him to quit it. Which I think is funny. It says that he, they tried to stop him. That gives the implication they were unsuccessful. Good job, that guy. That guy's always telling John, no, I'm not going to stop what I'm doing. Are you kidding me? I don't care who you guys are. I'm doing the work. They tried to stop him. They didn't stop him. Notice what Jesus says in verse 39. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of my name. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink, because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. There is a general principle that is put forward here by Jesus. I think a very important general principle is laid out that those who evoke the name of Jesus are authentic followers of Jesus. Now, we know you can't go too far with that because we know what Jesus also turned around and said. Jesus also turned around and tell everybody, you know, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord's going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's not giving a rubber stamp on hey, anybody who just says, I love Jesus is good. But clearly, he's not saying that. We have to keep this to the context of what the point is about. What had just happened in this scene? Notice the disciples do not say... You know, we tried to stop that guy because he doesn't follow you. No. No, what he says is, we tried to stop him because he's not part of our circle. He's not part of our group. He didn't follow us. He doesn't belong with us. Now, you might wonder, where did this guy come from? But you might, who knows exactly, but you might consider, for example... Jesus had sent out 70 other people to go out and be casting out demons and going with the authority of Jesus that are not part of this inner circle. And so they perhaps encounter this man. And here's John going, well, he was, he was, he's not with us. We're in this other circle. Here is Jesus getting the, this, this big point across. A message that reminds us over and over again. The work of God and the work of the kingdom of God is not about us. It's not about our status. It's not about who we are. You might remember the parallel of this when we were in Numbers. 
Over in Numbers 11, remember the Spirit of the Lord is put on these individuals and these elders. And then there's this one guy over here who's also prophesying. And Joshua turns to Moses and says, this guy over here, he's prophesying too. We need to stop him. And Moses goes, no way. I wish everybody would be able to do the very same thing. Moses is amazing. He realized it's not about him. Right now, the disciples here are in the it's about me stage of following Jesus. They're not getting this. And that's why Jesus stops and says, you need to understand what it means to follow me. To follow Jesus means it's not about me. It's not about my status. It's not about my importance or making sure everybody knows who I am. That's the context of what he's saying right here is don't stop people who are legitimately doing the work just because they're not in your select little group. You know, they're not your approved people right here. You know, well, I've got my 12 right here and that's the only people I like. I've seen that a lot of times. You might have seen that as well. I have, I have stunningly seen where like there's a member of the congregation who is doing Bible studies and an elder has asked him, who gave you the authority to do that? Who said you could do that? God. <laughs> I don't need your approval. I don't need your authority. I don't need you to tell me to live like a Christian and do what I ought to do. I don't need your little circle like that. That's what Jesus is getting at. It's not about, oh, well, I have some power. Please run everything by me. Are you kidding me? That's um, one of the blessings and I th- high appreciations I have of this congregation. It has always been, do you see something that can be done? Go for it. <laughs> you don't run things by us. You just, yeah, do the work. Is it the work? Do the work. Is there things you can do for the Lord? Please do it. <laughs> to tell us later how it's going. Just go do the work that God's given you to do. That's the beauty of what God has done. This is what the disciples are failing to see right here is that we must be doing the work of God and we do not stop others from doing the true work of God. And I like verse 41. Please notice how he rounds out that that idea. Friends, there is nothing too trivial in the work of the kingdom of God. You ever thought about, well, what I'm doing is just so small. You know, I think that's where a lot of this self-elevation in the church often comes from. Well, don't you know that what I'm doing right now is the most important thing on earth is standing up here and preaching to you as if all of the works that you're doing are of less significance. And that's what's being described right here. Whoever gives you a cup of, cold, of, of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Here is an individual who is supporting the disciples. Here, I'll, I'm going to give you some water in your work. He goes, they're not going to lose their reward. It doesn't matter who you are. and It doesn't matter what the work is you're doing. You do the work in the kingdom of God. This is not about status or position or do you know who I am or I do something more important than you or I have something more valuable. Very equal picture in the kingdom of God. And I think that it is so important to see that lasting greatness then is not measured by our standards but by God's standards. And lasting greatness by God's standard is being a servant to all. 
How can I serve? What can I do? What can I do for God? What is the work that I can do in the kingdom? And this leads me then to just two simple points I want to give you this morning. Two applications to think about in our lives. Number one. That means as Christians, we are called to live lives that give and not take. We're supposed to be servants of all. And that we would never look around the room and think, well, that person's beneath me. I can't help that person. I have more important things to do. We are to be last of all and servant of all. The picture that that is given of Jesus in Philippians 2 is certainly the ultimate example of that. Over and over again, how many times does God have to show us that the essence of biblical leadership is being a servant? The essence of being a leader is being a servant. Over and over again, God displays that. And God teaches that. And yet so often that can be forgotten. It is worldly leadership that comes along and says, you need to listen to me. And I get to tell you what to do. And you do not get to ask any questions. And I expect your undivided attention and unwavering loyalty. You just do what I want. You know, that's what Jesus would tell them. You know, the Gentiles, they're the ones that lord it over you. That's the absolute opposite of what it means to belong to the kingdom or to have any authority in the kingdom of God or to do anything as a leader. And I want us to think about what that looks like in our lives, in regards to our family, and in regards to the church. That means leadership in the church is not about ruling with an iron fist, demanding unquestioned loyalty, telling the flock what to do. That is such a shameful and wrong message that I believe has been sent for far too long about what it means to be an eldership or to be leaders. I would love to propose in taking 1 Peter 5, which talks to those who are shepherds as they shepherd the flock of God, and it says to not lord it over them. And I would like to ask them, so how far do you have to go before you actually are lording it over? (laughs) Because right now what I see is you're telling everybody what to do, which is lording it over. So if that's not it, exactly what is it? So often that's what it's all about is don't you know who we are? Elevation of status, elevation of position. Friends, belonging to the kingdom of God and us working together and understanding that biblical leadership is all about equipping others to do the work. Ephesians 4 talks about shepherds and Evangelists and and teachers, apostles, prophets, all of those things are not given to tell everybody what to do or lord it over the flock or rule with authority and strike with an iron fist and demand unquestioned loyalty. But to equip others to do the work. What does that mean? Be servants. 
right? Serve the flock, equip them to do the work that God's given them to do. Be the support system so that they can go do the work that God's called them to do. It's not about being a leader, it's about being a servant. This is what we've been called to do. And friends, I hope that we would recognize that that's also the same idea in the family. So often a poor picture has been been given in regard, husbands, since you're the head of the household, that means rule with an iron fist and demand unwavering loyalty and unquestioned challenged authority. And, and you know, that. where do we see that in the scriptures? Being a leader is being a servant over and over again. You want to be a leader, you be a servant. Whether you're leading your family or you're leading uh, anywhere else in, in life or leading in the people of God, serve. That's the picture that has been given to us. Ultimately, what we are doing is we are lifting others up by letting them stand on our shoulders. So often how we picture life is about trying to get ahead and how can I use people to get to where I want to be in life? And Jesus says, no, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be their stepping stool. I want you to lift them up. I want you to get down on your knees and raise them up. That's what it means to be truly a follower of Jesus. That's the cost that Jesus is teaching his disciples to count. Which then brings me to the second point, quite simply, is just tying the two together, is that it doesn't matter if you're a leader or not. The concept of being a follower of Jesus is about being a servant. Is that our hearts then would always want to serve other people. What can we do for one another without regard for consideration? Of what people would do for us. How many times is that the calculation? Well, I'll do that because I think they'd do something kind in return. (laughs) But if I, you know, if I don't think they're going to respond in kind, I'm not going to do something. And here's how I can prove that goes on in our minds. Because how many times have we done something for somebody and then like a month went by and in our minds we said, you know what, that person never said thank you. Gotcha. That's it. That's it. That's what we do. Where's the reciprocity? Where is it coming back to me? You're going to do something for me back, right? What are we wanting with that? You need to acknowledge what I've done. That's the very thing Jesus is striking at. It's not about us. It's not elevation of self. It's not promoting who we are. It's not making sure people know that I did something. And yet so often we can default into that kind of thinking. That is not the heart of a servant. The heart of a servant rejects all favoritism. It rejects all prejudice, friends. It rejects all pride. We should not want attention drawn to us. We should strive for the left hand to not know what the right hand is doing. That we are trying to keep it quiet as we serve God, not trumpeting and displaying it. That we want attention. Look how important I am. Look at all the good works that I'm doing. Please validate my spirituality. You need me, right? We want to do that so often. The heart of a servant rejects all of that. The heart of the servant does not want any notoriety, does not want attention, does not want any of those kinds of accolades, just simply wants to do the work. Because the message that Jesus is giving that is so countercultural and so counterintuitive to our nature and to our hearts is that greatness 
is found in serving. You want to be in the kingdom of God, you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you want to be great, quote-unquote, in the kingdom of God, serve others. Give your life to serving. Give your all and be last to every single person in this room. Just be dead last every single time. Going to be last. That's hard. That hurts sometimes. We're going to be like, I don't want to be last this time. But do you want to belong to the kingdom of God? I want to just ask in terms of our serving then, what does that look like in the home? How are we serving our spouse? How are we serving our children? How, If you're a child, how are you serving your parents? Think about what we've been called to in the various roles of as a husband and as a wife, as a father, as a mother, as a child, as a parent. How am I serving God in that capacity? How am I displaying this servant of all role? What does God want me to do to show service in that? That must be on display 24-7 in the family. And in terms then of the kingdom of God, the same thing needs to be asked. How are we serving in the kingdom of God? That as preachers, we always ask then, how am I going to serve the flock? Elders always asking, how are we serving the flock? Deacons, how are we serving the flock? The flock, how are we going to serve one another? How are we going to serve each other spiritually? How are we going to strengthen the faith of one another? What can I do with my actions and my time and my words to serve? We live in a time right now that is very self-centered and lacks service. Very much a time right now that our culture tells us, you just worry about you. You don't worry about other people. You don't do good for them. You don't worry about that. You just take care of you. So easy to allow that to filter into Christianity and do the exact same thing. You know, well, I'm not going to worry about all these people here. I'm just going to worry about me. As long as I get to heaven, (laughs) um, no. (laughs) Be a servant of all. Be willing to serve everybody. I'd like for you to take a mental challenge either right now or later on that you'd like, if you want to grab the directory or something like that, and just ask yourself, is there somebody you'd be unwilling to serve? You know, be open and honest on that one. Certain people go, I wouldn't serve them. I don't like them. They were mean to me. They said something that I didn't like. They did something rude. They pulled out of the parking lot faster than I did or whatever. (laughs) Whatever. We sit on opposite sides of the building because of that, so I don't have to see them. Who are you unwilling to serve? We need to be very warned about that idea that any promotion of ourselves... Any attention to ourselves shows that we are not truly followers of the kingdom in any way. And I just want us to end by just thinking about what Jesus does with this picture. He tells us there's no one that's too small in the kingdom and that there's no work too small. There's nothing beneath us. And there is no one in the kingdom of God that's lesser or greater in any way. We serve only one king. We have only one chief shepherd. That's Jesus. He leads us. 
We work together for that task. Let us find greatness in being a servant in every role, in every capacity, and in every opportunity that presents itself to us. As we end this morning, I want you to think about where you are in your discipleship with Jesus. A challenging open as Jesus speaks about what it looks like to follow him. What it means to count the cost. That ultimately a follower of Jesus is a servant. The ultimate picture of following Jesus is he is the master servant and that we would be a servant as well. Are you ready to give your life over to serving Jesus and serving the world so that you can be a follower of him, so that you can enjoy a relationship with God and have eternal life. We want you to do that this morning. We beg you to turn away from your sins, confess Jesus to be the Son of God who came to this world and died for your sins. And if you have not been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, that you would do that today before it is too late so that you can enter that relationship with him. Can we help you in any way? Won't you come while we stand and while we